Welcome to this week's podcast of Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Well, hey, welcome to Bergen Park Church. We're glad that you have gathered with us this morning. It is good to see you. We love you guys. Hey, if you want to grab a Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. We've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount. I have to be real honest with you. That doesn't mean most Sundays I'm not. But this Sunday I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know why I'm saying that. Uh, the topic that we're looking at today is something that, you know, often I get up here and there's certain topics. I, I mean, I've studied them, I know them, but I don't know them. Maybe I haven't lived them. When it comes to worry, that's something that I've lived. When it comes to anxiety, I feel like anxiety is something that I, I, I kind of know. It's a friend that you don't want around, but it's a friend that's constantly showing up. And the reality is in this world, all of us walk through different forms of anxiety, and some of us do it well. I mean, some of us, our anxiety allows us to excel. You know, we use anxiety and we push back into our challenges and what's in front of us. And sometimes we don't, we're not even honest about what we're really facing but I think all of us understand anxiety. We understand the challenge of a world that is out of control. And there's an illusion that we've got it, right? I mean, we got it. You guys look good. You got it. You've got it together. You've got degrees. You've experienced success. And this world says, hey, you've got enough. You've got what it takes. And then these challenges come into our lives and Worry and anxiety take us over. And that's what Jesus is addressing in Matthew chapter 6. That as we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked about two types of treasures. And they're treasures that are secure and they're treasures that are insecure. Those insecure treasures are things that moth and rust destroy, that thieves can break in and steal, something that can be taken from us that I've built my life on, my identity upon. And then when it's taken from me, my foundation begins to crumble. And Jesus says, don't put your trust in things that can be taken from you. Put your trust in things that are secure. And to illustrate what that means, he talks about two types of eyes. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if you set your eye on good things, healthy things, then your life is going to be healthy. And if your eye is good, then he says, your body's full of light. But see, if your eye is set on things that are insecure, that can be taken from you, that you build your identity upon, and... He says your, your life is filled with darkness. And so be careful what you set your heart on because what you treasure is going to direct the course of your life. And he concludes, two treasures, two eyes, two masters. You can only have one. And it's interesting that Jesus says the opposite of God when it comes to a master is money. Nothing has more control, more influence over our life than our money. And Jesus says you can only serve one master. Because, see, the essence of money says, in this world, I've got to take control, and what I have is mine. And if it's mine, guess what? You're in charge of protecting it. you got to keep it secure. You earned it. Now you've got to hold on to it. But the essence of God being your master is I am his. And, see, those two ways of viewing the world are entirely different. One sees the world through the lens of scarcity. There's not enough. There's a lot of people out there. I got to get what I need and I've got to hold on to what I need because, see, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And Jesus acknowledges that. 
We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And so we look out into the world and we see a world of scarcity. We see a lot of people running around and grabbing the stuff that we want. And it's kind of like that Easter egg hunt, right? I got to get all that I can. But see, when God is our value, we recognize we belong to him and God is generous and good and he has created a world of abundance. And the question is, how do we view the world? How do we view God? And so as we jump into this passage in Matthew chapter six, as Jesus addresses worry, he's not moving away from what we treasure or our wealth or our money. Instead, he's saying, what you treasure is going to increase or decrease your anxiety in life. And if you set your heart on something that can be taken from you, if you allow your life to be built on the sand, that when your life shakes, everything shakes because your foundation is not secure. So let's jump into this passage, Matthew chapter 6. We're going to pick it up in verse 25. And he's going to start off with this command. But as you hear the command that God gives you, hear this from the lens or from the voice of a father that loves you. And he is alongside you and he is with you. Jesus says in verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious about your life. What you'll eat or what you'll drink about your body and what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? I mean, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, the, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But first, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. Father, as we gather this morning, I just acknowledge that in this life, you've told us, Father, we will have trouble and trouble has come. And we are anxious so often about the troubles that we face. And in some ways, Lord, the challenges that we face, it leads us to a place of anxiety. Because we recognize we've been trying to convince ourselves we're in control, that we got this, that we're not dependent upon you. No, Father, we... We have built this life, and it is ours. And Father, I thank you that anxiety reminds us that you are in control, and so would you teach us and lead us. And Father, I pray for those that are in that place of worry and anxiety. Holy Spirit, would you comfort, would you, would you love, Father, and would you guide them to a place to know your heart, to know who you are. And Father, may we begin to see the world as you do so that we could let loose the things, Father, in this world that you want us to let go of. We love you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So you hear those words, do not worry. But what is the character of the God that's speaking those words to you? Does that make sense? Because it makes a big difference. I mean, if you've got a God in mind that's saying, hey, listen, stop worrying. And he's not alongside you. He doesn't love you. He's not caring for you. That's a very different command. What Jesus is presenting is a God who is with us, who loves us, who understands the challenges that we face. He's alongside us. And as he's looking at us, he's saying, Jason, listen, you don't have to worry. Now, it's a command. Don't worry. But listen, I'm with you. You don't have this. I don't know if you realized it. You never did. You've been fooling yourself. Now, you may be smart, you may be wise, and you may have a few things together, but I have carried you through this life. And just because things are going bad doesn't mean that anything suddenly has changed. You're just more aware of who I am and who you are. When you hear that command, do not worry, what is the character of the God that says it to you? I mean, that makes all the difference in the world. Because in some ways, when you hear these words, do not worry about food, are you kidding me? About drink, about clothing. Do you know how many people today, those basic essentials are not available? And throughout human history, how many Christians have died of starvation? They've died of exposure. Is Jesus, is he so naive to say that God's always going to take care of you? You're never going to go hungry? Is that the world we live in? You're never going to be thirsty. You're never going to go without. No, there are many people over human history and even in the world today who die because they lack the basic essentials. And so what, what exactly is he saying? Is he naive? Now, we know that Jesus is not naive because he's actually said, listen, when you see somebody hungry, it's your responsibility. You feed them. Why isn't God doing anything about this? Well, why aren't you? And when you see somebody thirsty, give them something to drink. And if they do not have clothes and you have extra, you should give that to them. And if they are without a home, they're without a country, you should provide that. See, God, as he is generous to us, we are to be generous to others. He says, what you've done to the least of these, church, you've done it to me. Jesus is not naive about the challenges. What he has is a radical view of God that is different from our own. The way that Jesus sees the world and he sees God is radically different. We live in a materialistic world. What does that mean? It means this world matters. Now, does this world matter? Absolutely. Does your life matter? Absolutely. You want a God that believes that the breath in your lungs matters. But see, a materialistic world says, I've got to hold on to what I have because it views the world through the lens of scarcity. I'm not going to have enough. And so if I have extra, I need to hold on some extra for me because, see, I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. And I knew a guy who didn't take care of tomorrow, and he lost his life. And so we're constantly seeing the world through this lens of materialism and scarcity. And that teaches us it's mine, and I have to be in control. Now, the Hebrew Scriptures don't understand that view of the world. Now, it understands that view of the world from the nature of sin, because what's the essence of sin? I don't trust God. I don't trust you, God, to tell me what's good. And what's evil, right? And that Adam and Eve's problem? I want to define it for myself. And every single one of us, we live that. I mean, every day. We're like, okay, I know I'm supposed to forgive. I know I'm supposed to give. I know I'm supposed to love. I don't want to. God, I want to choose good and evil for myself. The essence of sin is, God, I don't trust you. And when it comes to our material possessions, do we trust that God provides? 
And that's what Jesus is addressing. Here's the vision that Jesus has from the book of Genesis and all throughout the Proverbs. God is generous. And God has created a world of abundance. In this world, there is enough for everyone. So why don't people have enough? Because we believe in a world of scarcity. And as we move out into the world as human beings, we focus on ourselves, we hoard on to what we have, and we don't realize the miracle that God loves to do. You know this miracle? He loves to bless one person so that through that person, blessing would come to the rest of the world. Have you ever seen that? God gets this guy, Abraham. Abraham had a lot of money. He was a wealthy man. What he needed to do was to learn to trust God. So what did he say? Hey, get out of your hometown. Get out of your friends. Get out of your comfort zones. I'm gonna take you someplace. And Abraham, I'm gonna be crazy blessing you. But why? So that through the blessing I give you, blessing will go to the rest of the world. Often what happens when we see somebody that's blessed, we become jealous. Because we assume that's for him. We live in a world of scarcity. And we don't recognize when God blesses both spiritually and materially, he's blessing in order through that person, blessing might be given to others. That's the story of the Bible. Over and over and over, God continues to choose the least likely person so that through that person, a guy like Jacob, the deceiver, God might show up in a way that demonstrates his generosity to the world that people go, wait a minute, that has to be God because that's not Jacob. That's not Abraham. That's not Moses. That's not David. That's the character of God. Jesus has a radically different view of the world than we do. And so as we wrestle with this passage, we're kind of bringing a lot of baggage into the way we see God, but also into the way we see the world. And Jesus is showing us a God of abundance and grace that is provided for this world, but we as human beings, we don't trust him. We fundamentally don't trust him. And so notice at the end in verse 30, he says, oh, you of little faith, meaning, oh, you who do not trust the God that's provided. Now, what is worry in this passage? Let me say something. The worry that he's addressing is not the worry that happens in your life when you lose somebody you love. It's not the worry that he's describing when you go through a loss of some kind, when you lose a job. Now, what he's teaching does apply to those moments. He's not referring to the kind of concern that you have when someone you care about is going through a difficult trial or difficulty. Or He's describing the kind of worry that is the low-grade white noise of life. Because notice he said, do not worry about your food and drink and what you'll wear. Well, that's the ordinary stuff of life, right? So if you're going through a difficulty, a hardship, a trial in relationships, understand there is a, a natural concern and worry that is normal to the human being in life. You should be a little worried. But he's talking about that greater anxiety that we carry every moment of life, where we think that life is really up to us. And he's telling us, God cares for you. We don't see the world rightly, we don't see God rightly, and we don't see ourselves rightly. Jesus has a radically different, so if you're struggling with anxiety and worry, understand this isn't a simple fix. It's not a password that you use that opens a magic door that leads to a place of freedom. No, he's teaching us to trust him. And what is worry in this passage? Notice he's talking about the future. Worry is when we try to control that which we can't control. He said, don't worry about tomorrow. Why? Because you can't do anything about tomorrow. 
And though you're a good, you're good at seeing what's coming, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Anxiety fills our life when we try to control the things that we cannot change instead of trusting the one that is in tomorrow and knows what's coming into our lives. Anxiety happens when we try to control what we cannot change. So notice as we jump down in verse 26, he's going to say, instead of worrying, here's what I want you to do. Just go out. I mean, this is a great place to do this. Just go watch the birds. Watch the flowers as springtime comes. Begin to meditate on creation and what God has provided. So watch this. Verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into bards, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Here's the question of the day. Are you not more valuable than they? God provides for birds. Now, it's interesting. In Luke's gospel, it's ravens. Now, why is it ravens? Because ravens is nasty. Ravens are scavengers. And to the Jewish people, they were incredibly unclean because anything that eats a dead body is unclean and yet God cares for them for the unclean for this animal that eats the worst things that life provides God continues to care for him are you not more valuable than they you know when Jesus says love your neighbor as yourself if you don't love yourself you can't love your neighbor do you recognize your value before the father And then he goes on to say, what does worry help? Verse 27, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his lifespan? Dr. Phil, is it working? Bridge of Spies, you seen Bridge of Spies? Tom Hanks, come on now, guys. It's a good movie right there. And there are four moments that stand out in that movie. And if you've seen it, you probably know what I'm about to say. It's a story about Tom Hanks. He goes to, I think it's uh, East Germany. There's this Soviet spy they've discovered. He's been, they've discovered who he is, and he's in big trouble, right? He's in trouble. He's both in trouble with the Soviets, with the Americans. His life is in jeopardy. And Tom Hanks is representing, he's, he's trying to help him. And numerous times he says to this man, are you worried? And he said, would it help? And I have to tell you, the silence after each one of the, it's four times in the movie, And each time there's just a silence. It's like, yeah, that's a great question. Would it add anything to life? Jesus is saying, would it help? God cares about you. Verse 28, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory was arrayed like one of these. But if God clothes the grass of the field, which is today here, and tomorrow is thrown in, notice the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Jesus gives us something to replace worry with. He says, I want you, I want you to meditate on creation. And I want you to notice that God provides for the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. So here's the question. Who's been taking care of you up to this point? If God's been taking care of the birds and the flowers, let me ask you, who's been taking taking care of you up to today? What's the assumption? Me. What does the treasures of the world say? It is mine. I gotta be in control. No, no, Jason, I don't know if you realize it, this whole pandemic was to teach you that you're not in control. (laughs) If anything this year has done for me as a pastor is like, I don't know how to be a pastor 
Holy Spirit, just guide me and teach me and lead me. Pandemics, I don't know what this is. I don't know what's going on. What worry does is it breaks down our illusion of control. God has had you to this point, and just because trouble has come into your life doesn't mean that God suddenly changed. The world hasn't suddenly changed. Now, my experience of the world's changed, and often my experience of the world has taken me to a place of humility. And God opposes the proud, but you know what he does for the humble? Do you know what he loves to do to the humble? He pours out radical grace in your life. Because the humble say, God, I can't deal with this. I, I can't overcome this. I need you. I am the poor in spirit. I am those who mourn. God, I need you in my life. And what worry begins to teach us is the illusion of control that we've been walking in. See, Jesus is showing us as we look at the birds and as we look at the flowers that God cares in abundance for the things in this world. And so he goes on to say in verse 31, therefore do not be anxious, saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Now, why is that? And this is key because notice, what are the kinds of people that live in anxiety? He says it's the Gentiles. Now, you have to understand the Gentiles were the people that Israel, the Israelites, the Jewish people were living around. They were being oppressed by the Romans, taxed like crazy. So if you notice, a lot of Jesus' parables are about money. Because these are people who were impoverished, and they had the Romans come in, and they were taking everything. I mean, 80% taxation. They didn't have enough before. Now they have nothing. And he's saying, look at all the people who are oppressing you. They live for what they eat and drink and wear. And I know you don't have much. But I'm your father. They don't have me as their father. What is the evidence of someone that knows the Father? Realize when Jesus teaches, the the big screen, the background that he has is this message of the kingdom of God. That this world has a king and that king has shown up in Jesus. And this is the character of your king. What does he value? He wants us to be the servant of all. Why? Because that's greatest in the kingdom of heaven. We want to be great, right? (laughs) Be a servant. Why? Because that's who Jesus was. He tells us the first will be last and the last will be first. He tells us to love our enemies. Why? Because that's who our God is. He tells us that daily you're going to have to set aside what you think you need and pick up your cross and follow me. See, God desperately loves us. He cares for us. This is the nature of the God that we, that we worship. Instead of worry, what should we do? He tells us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness He tells us all these things will be added to you. Now, we're going to spend a little time as we close on that statement, all these things. Because that can sound like a radically good promise. Because I love me some security. And if Jesus is saying, this is the formula to make sure nothing bad happens to my life, then I'm in on that. So what does that mean? Now, first of all, when he says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, we need to understand what kingdom and righteousness means. We don't use that language. And when Jesus defined the kingdom, this is what he said. Father, may your kingdom come. And then he, in a parallel statement, defined kingdom. Let your will be done. The kingdom of God is the space in which God's will gets done. That's what the kingdom is. And the kingdom has a king and the kingdom has a people. 
And God's kingdom is where what God wants gets done. And what's righteousness? It's just right living. And the beauty of being right means when you're right with God, what's going to happen is you're going to be right with each other. And you're going to be right with creation and you're going to be right with your money. When you get your heart right with God and he's right and you see the world rightly, then your view of everything else begins to change. And that's why Jesus said, hey, the most important thing, most important command I want you to follow is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if you do, guess what you're going to do? You're going to love your neighbor as yourself. Why? that's what God loves. And if you become right with God, you're going to start doing right God stuff. And you're going to live in the path of Jesus when you seek first his will, his reign, and you trust him in this life. What's going to come out of that life as your heart is set on the Father is you're going to start doing Father stuff, Jesus stuff. We're going to start living like Jesus because we love the things that Jesus loved. So seek first his kingdom. And he says, all these things will be added to you. So I want to spend a little time on that last phrase. What is he saying that all these things will be added to us? Because I know people who suffer. And I know Christians who have starved. Now, not personally, but I know stories. And I know those who are without clothes and daily necessity. So what is, what is he really saying? Because see, if, it only, if a teaching only applies to us today in this moment... And not someone a thousand years ago in another community, then it's not the right application. Does that make sense? And so you got to be careful. Sometimes there's an American way, a Christian, Christianized way of interpreting scripture, but it doesn't apply anyplace else in the world. That's not from God. We have to look at the suffering, the difficulty of the world, and recognize how challenging it is, and then take that to the Father and really wrestle with what he's saying. So when he's saying all these things will be added to you, what does that mean? First of all, Jesus is not commending to us the security of birds and flowers. Because I've hit me a few birds. And I've taken a few out. Birds are food in the first century. And they're food for us today. And in fact, when you went to the temple where Jesus was teaching, and guess what was sacrificed? Birds. So birds didn't have this luxurious life. He's not saying, look at the birds, nothing ever happens to them. No one ever takes them out. Maybe the only bird I can think of is maybe the eagle. I wouldn't mind being that bird. But when it comes to ravens and the average birds, no, their life isn't great. He's not saying you're going to be secure. Because notice he said, look at the grass. It's here today, and then where is it thrown into? The oven. That's not security. If you're taking from this passage that if you trust in Jesus, everything's going to go well, you haven't looked at the life of Jesus. You haven't looked at the life of the disciples and the apostles and the early church. You're just looking at the life today and saying, if I just trust God, everything's going to go well. No, that's not the promise. The promise that he's making us is that when we trust in the Father and we seek first his kingdom, the troubles that come into our life, God uses them. He draws us closer to himself. He actually makes the things that are really valuable to the Father more important to us. He strengthens us. As James says, consider joy whenever you face trials. Well, why? Because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you might be mature and complete. How does that happen? By going through difficulties. You really begin to understand what you treasure, don't you? I mean, when you go through hardships and, and your health is taken away and your money's taken away and there are struggles, you really say, hey, you know what? That wasn't important. 
I can't believe I've invested so much time into that. I'm starting to realize what really matters in my life. That's what trouble does. And when you turn to the Father, the Father uses the trouble in your life to strengthen you, to refine you, to cause you to love the things that are gonna make life better. So what is he saying when he, when he tells us that all these things will be added to you? He's not commending to you the security of birds and of flowers. Because he tells us again in verse 34, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for today is its own trouble. Trouble is not disappearing. What he is commending to us, and hear me on this, is the carefreeness of birds and flowers. Now let me explain that. When a bird goes out, that bird assumes he's going to find what he needs. Now, listen, the brain of a bird doesn't know any better. It's a bird brain. So let's not get into the science here. It's just an illustration. And he's saying the birds have the kind of mentality the father wants you to have. That when you move out into the world and birds work, they collect, they gather. This is not about sitting back and doing nothing. And if I just pray and say a couple magic words, money's gonna come into my account. God does provide miraculously. But that's not what he's telling you. I want you to have the mentality of the birds. I want you to see the beauty of the flowers, and yet they don't worry, and yet look at how the Father provides for them. They go out to the world, and they assume what they need is going to be there. Now, often we know God's version of what we need, and my version of what I need is very different. And God may say, Jason, listen, I know you love that house, but you're going to have to let it go. I know you love that job. I know you love that income, but you're going to have to let. There may be challenges that come into my life that have caused me to say, okay, God, my standard of living, what, what I think I need and what you think I need are very different. But he's saying the birds and the flowers, they assume that what we need is going to be there. You know, Dallas Willard in his book on the Sermon on the Mount, he describes this idea of trusting in God in times of difficulty. And he says it this way. He says, people who are ignorant of God, they live to eat and drink and dress. Their lives are filled with corresponding anxiety and anger and depression about how they look and how they will fare. By contrast, those who understand Jesus and his father know that provision has been made for them. Though they work, they do not worry about things on earth. Instead, they're always seeking first the kingdom. That is, they place top priority on identifying and involving themselves in what God is doing and in the kind of rightness he has, all else needed is provided. Jesus is not commending the safety of birds and flowers. He is commending the carefreeness of birds and flowers to trust that God will provide. Because realize, as we pull back, he's still talking about our treasure. When I said in the beginning, this isn't anxiety for anxiety's sake. This isn't about every circumstance in life. He's saying what you treasure will greatly increase or decrease your anxiety. And so what he's still addressing in this passage is what's most important to us. If you want to know what you worship, last week I said follow your money. If you want to know what you worship, this week I'm telling you to follow your worry. What you worry about has a hold on your heart. Now, some of those things are valuable, aren't they? I mean, our kids, people we love, our wealth, our career, those things are valuable. 
But what happens when you make a good thing an ultimate thing? Have you ever lived for work? Did work love you back? How did that treat your health? Have you ever lived for pleasure, for comfort? When you take a good thing and you make it a God thing, it destroys your life. Because you weren't designed for that. Listen, appearance, a lot of us care. You guys look good. We care care about our appearance. But if appearance is my life, aging is going to be frightening. Because I know in premarital counseling, I had the same conversation, right? Did you guys, were you ever in premarital counseling? Do you have the same pastor I had? I want you to look at her, Jason. She's beautiful. And, and she, he said the same thing to her. Hey, look at him. That's the best you're going to look, guys. <laughs> right there. And if that's it, if that's what you're, you think this is about, mm, uh-uh, that's fading. And if you make wealth your life, well, yeah, you're going to be afraid of the economy. Of course you are. And hear me on this. If you make your country your life, you're going to be angry about politics. You're going to call, call the other side evil and my side good. See, whatever you put at the center of your life, it warps your character. That you think slander is okay. You think, hey, in this arena, I don't have to love my enemy and pray for those who persecute me. Why? Why do we change it? Why is it so easy for us to say, hey, I know the first will be last and last will be first. Well, but not in this arena. Because that's what you really worship. And hear me on this. The worst thing that could happen to us as a country is not socialism. Now, I don't want socialism. I love my country. I prefer it the way it is. I think we live in the greatest country in the world. You know the worst thing that could happen to you? It's not socialism. It's not Marxism. Is that you become so anxious in life that you stop treasuring the Father and you start treasuring something else. And how often do we as the church find good things and important things, we make them ultimate things, and then we look nothing like Jesus? Because what happens when you make something ultimate? It shapes your heart and it says, hey, it's okay to behave this way. Even though it looks nothing like Jesus. And let me say something. If what somebody is saying, even up front, looks nothing like Jesus and sounds nothing like Jesus, it's not of Jesus. Even pastors and churches get led astray. And it's not because those things aren't important, but they're not our treasure. Now, let me explain it this way. You know, when it comes to our kids, you know, every book that I've read has said, you know, the most important thing for your kids is a secure home. And so whatever relationships in that are in that home, they need to be focused on each other. So Husbands and wives, the best way to love your son, your daughter, is to love your husband or your wife. Because what gives a kid security is not focusing on the kid's security. It makes him really anxious. When you're constantly focused on having a secure life and nothing ever happening and, oh my gosh, and, and reacting and reacting. No, the most important thing is that they see a secure relationship around them. And that makes them feel love, even though you're not focused on them. And even though their greatest thing is to break that bond and get between you and kind of get the attention... And you hold that tension and you say, no, no, I'm going to love this person because that's going to be the best thing for you. And you don't focus on them, but you focus on each other. It leads to the most healthy home life they could have. Now, if that's true of parenting, how much more true of that is that in, in terms of a relationship to the father? What's going to change your relationship to money? By seeking first the father. 
You see, when you seek first the Father, you're going to have the same relationship that Jesus had with money. Why did he have that relationship with money? Because of what he sought. Why did he pray? Because he knew he needed to. Why did he gather in community? Why did he tell other people about his concerns, his difficulties? Because he knew he needed to. Because, see, that was his way of treasuring the Father. Why do we pray? Why do we read Scripture? Why do we gather together on Sunday mornings, even though it's not always convenient for us to do so? Because what it does is it starts to cultivate a heart that loves God and seeks after the things of God. And what will change your relationship to everything in life is seeking first the kingdom of God. Why was Jesus so remarkable? Because of what his heart treasured. Now, I want to share a story with you, and I've got to caution you as I share this story. It's incredibly tragic, and I'm not criticizing the person. But a friend of mine who is a pastor, he told me this story about a man in his church. And this man had a tremendous, I cannot overemphasize, a tremendous influence in his life. He was a leader in his church. And see, early on, he and his wife understood suffering. They understood the difficulties of going through trials. At the age of eight, his son passed away from cancer. And see, his son had suffered for three years battling cancer. There were many moments of hope where they thought things were going to turn around. And at the age of eight, he loses his son. And if you know anything about the loss of a child, that's incredibly damaging on a marriage. Marriages are tough enough, aren't they? Let alone to lose a child. Because what happens is all this regret comes in, all this failure comes in. You start seeing each other's problems. And many people do not survive the loss of a child. But they survived. Not because they were perfect, they struggled through it. They shared their anxieties. They opened their life to God and to others, and they allowed people to begin to love them. And because of that, they had a tremendous impact in the lives of young couples. And he was incredibly successful. He was an entrepreneur. He built this incredibly large business, and many people came to him for advice on life and leadership and loving God and loving their wife. And see, as he was getting to his 60s, he had this business partner, and, and the two of them were side by side. He trusted him. Trusted him too much. And something happened, I can't really explain it, I don't understand it, where his business partner had done something that put everything that he owned into jeopardy, and within six months, he was facing the foreclosure of his home. Because of legal challenges and troubles, everything he had built, everything that people came to him for, was disappearing. And that's when he took his life. Now, I share that not to criticize him. This is a man that had gone through, and his wife had gone through the loss of a child, almost losing their marriage. And yet once, once the prospect of losing his wealth came into his life, he was ready to give up. Why? Because, see, you cannot serve both God and money. Money has such a hard control over the way we view ourselves, the way we view the world, the way we view God that we don't see it until it's too much. When Jesus says, God will meet all your needs, he's saying, God will meet your needs. God will provide for you. Now, that doesn't mean that trouble won't come into your life. That doesn't mean that one day God will not provide for you, that there will be one day where everything is taken from us. We recognize that. But in trusting the Father and in seeking after the Father, we become the kind of person who can deal with those circumstances when they come. Because, see, if you think that when tragedy comes, that's when you're going to get real with the Lord, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. 
that even the most mature and strongest among us, we need to be aware of what's, what's guarding our heart, what's reigning over our heart, because often even the most mature among us, we don't see it. And see, that's why what God leads us to, you know what he takes us to a place in trouble is to a place of humility. And humility says, God, I need your grace, but see, I need people in my life. Do you have people in your life that understand what you worry about? Do you have people in your life that know how insecure you are? <laughs> that on the outside, you think you got it together. I I've controlled this, I've got this whole thing. And yet internally, yeah, I feel the same way. I feel like a disappointment most of the time. Shared that with a group of guys this week that so often in my life, and you may be surprised at that, I feel like I disappoint people. Because I've got all you guys that are looking out there, it's like I cannot constantly meet everyone's need, but I want to. And yet, you know what I have to do with that? I say, God, listen, I want them to come back. I want them to grow. I want them to love the Lord, but I can't do it, but you can. And Father, through me, you can show a vision of who you are that people will recognize that you love them, you care for them, and you want to be there with them. I can't do that on my own. It's only through my weakness that God becomes strong. Church, we have to watch out when it comes to the things that we treasure. And we have to be willing to surrender those things to the Father. And, and last of all, to bring people into your life. Do you have the kind of community where you can be honest about the things that you're setting your life upon? Okay, let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for the challenges in life. Um, Lord, we're human, but we forget. I forget. Father, so often we look at what we've done and, and we're satisfied. Or at least we think this is something that we have made. And Lord, I lose sight of the fact that your grace is sufficient. And Father, it's your power that is perfected in our weaknesses. And so we'll boast all the more gladly about our weaknesses so the power of Christ may dwell in us. Father, I wanna pray for those that are going through experiences of anxiety and worry. Father, as a church, may we be comforting to those that are in moments of crisis that we would come alongside and listen as you're going through this I'm with you you're not alone and I pray as a church we would be that kind of community for each other and Lord would your grace your mercy go out to those that are afraid that are in that place of despair and Father through your Holy Spirit would you remind them that you care for them and you are with them and Lord help us simply together as a community of faith to represent the Father that we love, not to live and to chase after the scarcity of the world, but instead to trust, Father, if you have abundantly given to us, Father, you want us to richly bless others. Help us to walk in the generosity, Father, of your love for us, that you who did not spare your own son, but gave him up for us all, how will you not also with him freely give us all things? Father, we love you and we trust you in Jesus.